to the Her Influence podcast, calling women to rise in purpose and influence your world with real voices, bold words, and whole hearts. The Her Influence podcast is created on behalf of Gather Women by Women in Canada for women everywhere to rise in their leadership influence wherever they are planted. And now, here are your hosts, Kathy Ostapchuk, Vanessa Hoyes, and Caitlin Say. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to our first episode of 2021 for the Her Influence podcast. Gosh, I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so glad it's a new year. I don't know if you're all feeling the love of 2021, but we do know that just because a number changes, it doesn't mean that everything will change. So we all need to be intentional, grieving, celebrating, but looking forward to see what God has for us this year. I hope you're with us in that. I'm Kathy Ostrupchuk. I'll be your host for our podcast today. And I'm really excited to bring you this message from none other than Carrie Newhoff. And I'll tell you why. Carrie Newhoff is always giving the church, a global church, reasons and tools and helpful learnings to keep going, to keep growing. And I think 2021 is the year that we want to head in that direction, right? We don't want to stay stuck or paralyzed because of the year that we've just had. And Carrie brings us such great information about what the church can be and will be and needs to do in order to grow and go in 2021. And so I'm so excited to have you listen to this message. It was recorded at the Uh, gather a seat at the table conference that we had online in November and I know you're going to lean in again I'm always saying this get a pen take lots of notes because there is a lot of rich stuff in this podcast so for those of you who do know Carrie and for those of you who are new to him I want to tell you that he is a best-selling leadership author speaker podcaster former attorney and church planter. He writes one of today's most influential leadership blogs and his online content is accessed by leaders over 1.5 million times a month. And I will tell you that when I go on my daily walks, Carrie's podcast is always at the top of my list. Carrie's mission is to help people thrive in life and leadership. He has extensive experience helping organizations lead through change, develop high capacity teams, deepen their personal growth along with their health. He speaks to leaders around the world about leadership, change, and personal growth. And if you know me, if you know us, if you know the name of this podcast, we are all about leadership, we're about influence, we're about having a growth mindset. Carrie's most recent book, Didn't See It Coming, Overcoming the Seven Greatest Challenges That No One Expects But Everyone Experiences, is designed to help leaders both avoid and defeat the hidden challenges they'll encounter, including cynicism, compromise, irrelevance, and burnout. And I will tell you, after having read this book, I was just so appreciative of Carrie's vulnerability, things that he didn't see coming in his personal life and leadership. So helpful. Carrie and his wife, Tony, live north of Toronto, Canada, and they have two grown sons. I am so excited that Compassion is continuing to sponsor our season four, which will go into January. And they have been a great partner with Gather since the beginning. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how you can engage with compassion at the break. Right now, have a listen to this amazing message from our guest, Carrie Newhoff. 
So we live in a highly disruptive time as a culture. Uh, regardless of what happens with COVID long-term or viruses or vaccines, we're in a whole new era. And I want to talk to you in this talk about what that means for us, because I think it can mean some very, very different things. So in fact, in our time together, I want to talk to you about seven disruptive trends that I'm paying attention to in the church. The first thing to know whenever you find yourself in a crisis, and you'll know this from maybe some personal crises that you've gone through and certainly from the disruption that's happening now, is that crisis is not just a disruptor, it's an accelerator. So I want you to imagine for a moment in the personal front that you go to your doctor and you're just going there for a physical and like you get your blood pressure checked and he checks out all your, your you know blood work and you find out you got high cholesterol and that your blood pressure is high. Well, see, that's a little bit of a mini crisis. So what happens? Well, it's a disruptor. It's like, what do you mean? I can't have ice cream five times a day. Are you telling me I can't have ice cream five times a day? Seriously? And secondly, it's an accelerator. So some of the changes that you might have made over the next year or two, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm off ice cream, cold turkey, no more burgers and fries, all right? So it's an accelerator because it's a disruptor. And crisis does the same thing when it hits the culture. And when you think about all of the things that we've been dealing with, the economic dislocation, the border lockdown, quarantine, the social fabric changing, the divisiveness of our times, not to mention a virus, and even, even the death of travel as we've known it. And, you know, that's all going to come back. It's going to come back one day. But when it comes back, it may come back in a different form. And so crisis has disrupted not just our lives, but life as a whole. And crisis has actually accelerated some of the trends that are happening. So things that would perhaps take years to arrive suddenly arrive overnight. Good example of that, remote work. Uh, I had been studying for years the tendency of younger leaders to want to work from home or coffee shop or, you know, working parents to have flexible hours. It's like, can I leave at three today so I don't miss my daughter's soccer game? Like, I really want to catch her soccer game, right? That had been happening. And then people increasingly wanted to work from home. I've been working from home for years. I just, I lead a remote company. I lead a remote organization. But what happened in March of 2020 is we went from overnight working in office towers to everybody working at home. So all of a sudden that trend got accelerated and you're like, well, yeah, but that's temporary and it's because of coronavirus and the whole deal, absolutely. But when things reset, when things go back, it will not go back to the way it was in 2019. In fact, a lot of the polling in both of companies and of employees is that people kind of like remote work. Bosses are saying, hey, we're saving money on square footage and we can actually reduce our lease footprint and our costs and our overhead by shifting to working from home. And employees are saying, this isn't so bad. And, and what's shocking is, according to a Gallup poll, 59% of employees say they want some form of working from home moving forward. These are hardly ideal conditions, all right? Having schools closed and kids running around all day and no daycare options and working out of a bedroom closet, like that actually is not an ideal condition in 59% are saying, but I kind of like it. I don't have the commute. I don't have the traffic. I don't have the expense. I don't have the gas. I don't have the meals out. Like this actually works. So imagine what will happen when the kids are back in school and daycares are open and you get an opportunity to actually set up an office and have a good internet connection like, like people might even fall more in love with it. So will some people go back to an office? Of course, some people go back to an 
office. But the crisis accelerated a trend that had been coming for years. It was pre-COVID by 2027, people uh, estimated that the gig economy, people working for themselves and also remote work, would be about half of the economy. And that just got accelerated significantly thanks to the global crisis that we still haven't seen ourselves all the way through. So that's what crisis does. And the other thing to realize is that the future is unkind to the unprepared. So the best thing you can do as a leader is prepare, right? If you are a horse and buggy maker in the 19th century, you know, what you're doing is building carriages and wheels and uh, making harnesses for horses, uh, you're, you're not a big fan of the automobile. And you're saying, oh, it's just a fad, it's gonna go away. Well, if you don't prepare for a new future, my goodness, things change pretty fast. So the future is unkind to the unprepared. So the best thing you can do as a leader is prepare. And even though nobody's 100% certain what's what the new normal, whenever that emerges, however that emerges looks like, we can see some clues along the way. So here are some church trends that I'm seeing that I'm really paying attention to and I think can probably speak into at least the reality that we're experiencing and perhaps some of the steps that we can take. So trend number one, the church will further consolidate as it expands. So I'm an optimist. I believe the church is going to grow. But perhaps what's going to happen is that even now, when, when it's so hard to assess anything that's happening, the church is consolidating. So that's kind of an economic term. What does consolidation mean? Well, think back to what happened in Western culture in the 1990s and the early 2000s with bookstores. You had a whole lot of independent bookstores that were around for years. And then all of a sudden in America, the chains show up. So Borders and Barnes and Nobles arrive in neighborhoods and suddenly independent bookstores are out of business. So the book market is perhaps expanding, but it's also consolidating. There are fewer stores and the stores that are there are bigger. And then of course, what happened? Well, the big box retailers, they kind of got overtaken by Amazon and Amazon came along and kind of gobbled up a lot of retail sales, right? So this one big conglomerate kind of takes market a share away from others. And you can see the same thing when it comes to mega churches and to multi-site churches. So for sure, People who had never heard about Jesus were met by the multi-site church and the megachurch. They met Jesus through the ministry of growing, expanding churches. However, however, we know the story underneath the multi-site movement and the megachurch movement is not all of that was conversion growth. There were people who went to an Assemblies of God church, a little church, or a Church of Christ, or a Presbyterian church, or whatever the denomination was, or an independent church. And it was just a small group, 50, 100 people. And then all of a sudden, a big multi-site church comes to town, and they're like, well, we're going to go over here. And what that is, is market consolidation. So in our lifetime, the market consolidated at first around mega churches and then around multi-site churches. So some of the people who used to go to small independent churches are now going to larger churches. And of course, those churches are still reaching new people. Well, all that to say this. Although it's kind of hard to tell, the early evidence suggests that is what's happening with church online. Suddenly, for the first time ever, Christians are like, oh, well, I can't go to my church because it was closed or is closed, and everybody's churches was closed for at least a season, but I'm going to check it out online. Well, wait a minute. My church isn't the only church online. I found this amazing church in Los Angeles. I found this amazing church in Sydney. I found this amazing church in London. I found this great church in Toronto. And they start moving around. And see, what's happening now is some of the larger churches are getting larger. 
And we're not exactly sure how that, that played out because giving might be up and online viewership as best as we can measure it is up, but we don't know where all those people are coming from. And sure, Google Analytics will tell you, well, there's some people from Perth or there's some people from uh, Germany or there's some people from the UK who are watching and, and that's awesome. But you won't really know until the dust is settled. But what's probably happening is some of the larger churches are getting larger and they're becoming even more location independent. And then when the dust all settles and we move into the new normal, we'll discover that some of the churches that were perhaps struggling on the front side of COVID uh, are going to struggle a little bit more because people aren't coming back. They either have stopped attending church or they're moving into a different reality. Uh, And on that question of stopping church, 48% of churchgoers, this is Barna data from the first few months of COVID, But think about how intense feelings were and how much fear there was in the first days of COVID. So May of 2020, you would think everybody who's going to watch church is watching church. But according to some Barna data, 48% of church goers, so people who used to previously go to church, said that in the previous four weeks, they hadn't gone to any online services that churches were offering. So like almost half of churchgoers just kind of disappeared. All right, and then of those who actually said, no, I went online, only 40% said they watched their home church and 23% said they watched other churches. So you got some shifting going on online and obviously you're reaching new people in the process, but there's a massive redistribution and perhaps a market consolidation happening. So in the future, and this is the thing to pay attention to, the church with a capital C will prevail, but not every church will prevail. So the church is going to prevail. I mean, that was something created by God, but not every congregation is going to prevail. So what do you do in a situation like that? Well, first of all, you need to know that's probably happening. Secondly, you need to figure out what is the application for your church? What's the application for your situation? Maybe you're one of those churches that has experienced online growth. Even looking at your pre-COVID statistics, you're like, yeah, it's a lot bigger. And I know it can be hard to figure out who's there, but perhaps you are picking up new people who used to attend other churches as well as some just plain new people who are new to church. Maybe you're finding that there's not a lot of momentum and you got to be thinking, okay, what do I do with that? Well, if you're a smaller church that are saying, see, told you those mega churches and multi-site churches and the big online churches, they're taking all our people. What do you do? Well, my word to you would be, they cannot be more local than you are. If you're in a small town, a village, uh, an underserviced area, or even just in a neighborhood in a big city, nobody can out-local the local church. You should be able to, to, to love your community in a way that a big church in another city or perhaps a big church in your city can't love your neighborhood. Uh, for all the people who attend your church, for those you know are still part of it, they all have neighbors and friends. Nobody's going to reach those neighbors and friends like the people who go to your church. You can serve your community. You can care for the poor in your community. You can reach out and help schools and teachers and kids. And I mean, you can, you can be a huge part of your community. So if you're a local church, be a local church. You may realize we don't really have the skill and the talent to compete with international preachers. We, we don't have the skill and the talent to, to match that band. 
Like our band's sort of okay and you know they're okay, but they're not that great. Yeah, but but those guys can't out-local you. And if you are a larger church, then that is growing. You have to figure out how do we assimilate these people? How do we disciple these people? How do we connect them to people in their cities and their communities? But I'm suspecting trend number one, that the church is consolidating as it's also expanding. So that's trend number one. Number two, and these are disruptive trends. This means it is not business as usual. Trend number two, the return to church might not be the rush that leaders hope for. Um, I know in America, where we get a lot of data from the Barna Group and uh, from a company called Glue, the early return to church is not very encouraging. Most pastors who have reopened post-COVID have discovered that somewhere on the low end, between 20% and maybe 40 or 50% of their previous church attendance are coming back to church. And then add to that, maybe on the super high end, if you're a small church, it's about 70% of your pre-COVID attendance. And those people are celebrating. They're like, yeah, we got 70%. Well, when did losing 30% of your people become a win? That's sort of the question I want to ask, because as far as I'm concerned, you know, you want to reach 100% of the people and you want to reach more, right? Like that's what you want to do. So the return to church, the rush back to church is not the rush we anticipated. Some people say, well, one day the world will normalize and there'll be a vaccine or we'll have herd immunity and people will gather for football games again or, you know, uh, pro sports will function and schools will be open and everything will just be normal again and people will be traveling internationally. Perhaps, perhaps that's true. But remember, crisis is an accelerator as well as a disruptor. So let's take a look at the trends pre-COVID. This is more Barna data. So the Barna Group has plotted out basically a 20-year decline in church attendance in every demographic. Baby boomers are attending less often pre-COVID than they did in 2000. Millennials are, Gen X are, and Gen Z is attending church less often too. A lot of them are just leaving the church. So you look at the trends, it's all kind of down and to the left. Now, this graph is pre-COVID. All right. So if crisis is an accelerator, do you think that is going to automatically jump back? Some people say, well, listen, when churches are really open, everything's normal. Everyone's going to rush back. It'll be it'll be like, you know, after 9-11. Well, after 9-11, people ran back to church for about two weeks or two months. Even in New York City, Tim Keller says, yeah, it lasted about two months. And then everybody went about their business again. And you can see the trends. They just kind of went down into the left. So, you know, if you're staking everything on a physical return to church, maybe you need a new strategy. It is really hard to go back to normal when normal disappeared. And I see so many church leaders rushing back to how can we reopen? How can we get the most number of people in a building? I'm not sure that's a winning strategy for the future. And the rush back to church initially has been disappointing. I would not be shocked if long-term it's even more disappointing. So this is where the hope comes in, because you're like, well, that is not good news. No, it's not good news. Okay, but crisis may be an accelerator. However, it's also the cradle for innovation and breakthroughs. This is where we start to imagine what could be. All right, if if people are not going to come back to church, that doesn't mean they don't need God. That doesn't mean we can't reach them. Uh, You have cameras, you have microphones. Like, what can you do? You you have an internet connection. What can you do? Uh, You can have people come to you, but what if you started going to people? What if that shift became complete? We'll look at that a little bit more as we move forward. Okay, number three. That leads us very nicely into trend number three. The church will shift from facility-based to home-based. Now, I know that's a big claim. 
You're like, what do you mean facility-based to home-based? Well, for too many pastors, losing access to our buildings felt like losing access to our ministry. And I know on social media, everybody says, the church was never closed, the church is wide open, but we behaved as though it was. And I think the rush back to church shows us that's more true than we really want to admit, right? It's like, well, we just got to get everybody back in the building. So just because your facility closed doesn't mean your ministry is finished. It doesn't mean that, but we are behaving like it does. And if you take a look at the culture And the culture as it's evolving, there have been five things that moved home since coronavirus rocked the world. Five things that have moved home. Number one, work. We already touched on that, right? So work moved home. Overnight, every office worker was a home worker, was a virtual team member. So that that happened overnight. And yes, some of that will swing back to offices again, but I would suggest probably not at pre-COVID levels, I don't think that's gonna happen. Number two, shopping moved home. And sure, you had an Amazon Prime account long before COVID, but think about how much more online shopping you're doing now. And I mean, Amazon has had a banner record year in 2020. Why? Because people couldn't leave their homes. But you see, the longer this disruption continues, the more those habits will be embedded. And if you need a golf shirt and you're like, okay, am I gonna go to the mall for the polo shirt? Or you can pull out your phone and you can find the color and the size and you can click a button and it's there tomorrow morning on your doorstep. Like, are you really going to go to the mall? Because when you go to the mall, you're not even sure they're going to have your size or your color and there's no way to check that. So you're just like, away we go. See, long-term habits. So shopping has moved online, which means it's home-based. So great advice coming our way from Carrie, and there's more to follow. You know, we've heard lots of big numbers and harrowing statistics this past year, that that year called 2020 that none of us want to go back to. But at Compassion Canada, they tackle the big, scary statistics about global poverty by focusing on the story of one, one child, one family, one single mother, one baby, and her grandmother like baby Satine and her grandmother, Mushinu. As winter approaches in the border town that baby Satine's family calls home in northern Thailand, there's still no sign of her parents' return. Because of a COVID-19 border lockdown, her parents' two-week trip has turned into a months-long separation, leaving baby Satine's grandmother, Mushinu, to care for her. It's a desperate situation with Mushinu struggling to find work and make ends meet in the midst of this pandemic. But she isn't facing this crisis alone. Compassion's local church partner is walking alongside them, meeting needs and providing support in this difficult time. These are the faces, names and stories that we can focus on when we feel overwhelmed by all the despair in the world right now. So I encourage you to read more and visit compassion.ca-blog. And now back to the great message from Carrie Newhoff. Now, another thing that became home-based during the pandemic is food. Suddenly, we had to eat at home, right? People were starting culturally to spend more money in restaurants and takeout than they were on groceries that they prepared at home. But over the course of 2020, what happened? A lot of people discovered they owned an oven and a fridge. And it's like, oh, we can actually do some baking? Are you kidding me? That's how this thing works? And they started like 
making bread and they started cooking at home and they're like, this isn't so bad. And it's actually cheaper than going to a restaurant. And then takeout became really big. Well, what is takeout? Yes, you didn't make the food, but you took it home. <laughs> All right. So home suddenly became the epicenter for food. And I'm not a restaurateur, but if I was, here's what I'd be doing with my business plan. I would be figuring out how to make takeout and delivery a much bigger part and dining in a much lower part. I think there is real potential there. So just to recap, the home is already the hub for work, for shopping, for food, also for fitness because people can go to the gym. So it's like, well, I'm gonna take up running or I'm gonna get some weights and I'll start lifting or I'm gonna get you know, a rowing machine or I'll get something and I'm gonna set up my little home gym and now I don't know whether I'm gonna go back. So fitness became home-based, school became home-based. Yeah, and you're like, well, one day the schools are gonna open again. The schools are gonna open again. Some are open, some are closed, the whole deal. But here's the reality. These pandemics, they come and go. We, we're probably not completely out of the woods. And some parents have opted for homeschooling. So I want you to think about all those shifts. The home has become the new center for life. Now, church was done from home for a number of months, or perhaps in your case, even to the point at which you're watching this message. It's like, nope, church is still from home. And again, crisis is an accelerator. Here's what you see. You see a lot of churches saying, yeah, 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 but home is just temporary and you got to get back to the building and come on back to the building. And as soon as we can get everyone back to the building, everything's going to be amazing. And, And sure, that would be great, except it's not 2019, except things have shifted. And if the home is actually the hub for life and it will be more of the hub for life than it was in 2019, then what are you going to do about it as a church leader? I really think if I was designing a house today, which I'm not, but I imagine somebody sitting down with an architect right now while you're watching this talk saying, you know what, when we build in the future, here's what I want. I want an extra bedroom or two that we can convert into an office. And I want an area for the kids' homework because when we were homeschooling, like our current setup and our current house didn't work. And no, I'm not doing the, the, the gym in the garage type thing or the gym in the basement. Let's actually build out this little home studio. Now I know that's an incredibly privileged view, but I promise you there are people who are designing a house just like that. And if you're going to reach them, the question is, are they going to be the people who take church at home and connect with their neighbors and their friends? Or are they going to go to a building? And, and don't use, because I've heard so many church leaders say, yeah, but Carrie, people need a personal experience. Guess what you have at home? You have a personal experience. You have a personal experience with your family. You can have a personal experience with your neighbor, with your community. You can meet in the backyard. You can meet in your family room. You can meet at a restaurant. You don't have to go to a church facility. So if the home is the new hub, And again, yeah, some people are going to go back to offices. Some people are going to rejoin the gym. Some people are going to eat at dine-in restaurants. I get that. I get that. But I think the gravitational pull has shifted, that there is a a force at work here that we're, we're not wise to ignore. And so if all those things are home, can't the church also be home? It's not that you won't have people gathering, but what if more people gathered outside of the building? And what if instead of seeing your facility as the place everybody has to gather to meet Jesus, you see it as the equipping center 
out of which you can equip people in their homes and workplaces and communities so that they can actually serve Jesus and get to know him and reach their neighbors. Like, I actually think the potential of that is greater than saying, well, actually, if you want to meet Jesus, you better be here Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 or 11 or Saturday night or Thursday night or whenever. Like, like it's just an old model that I think the crisis has perhaps broken down. The church has left the building. Okay. And theologically, by the way, that really checks out with the New Testament and the Old Testament to a certain extent. Because uh, in the New Testament, the church, the Holy Spirit, is where the people of God are and where they're gathered. And we preach that for years. You know, when we preach, you know, where two or three are gathered, uh, we preach it when nobody shows up. But that, that's what we use that as, as a verse for. It's, it's, actually, it's actually wherever the people are, God is with them. And so what if you could equip people where they are? Anyway, that's a big trend. Number four, churches will become digital organizations with physical locations. So, yes, some churches definitely had uh, an online presence. At our church, Connexus Church, where I'm founding pastor, we went online for real, like seriously, in 2016. Prior to that, you know, we had our videos uploaded, et cetera, et cetera, but for real became an online church in 2016. And every church that hadn't done that prior to that is now online. And even when we built our broadcast location, I kind of knew, and it's not huge. We had 26,000 square feet. I don't know how many square meters that is, but anyway, it's, it's not huge. But I kind of knew that the future was coming and that far more people would watch a message that I delivered through the lens of a camera than through their own eyes in the room. We were already a multi-site church. So I just kind of thought what we're going to do is we're going to build a broadcast studio with a church attached. And that's what we built. Now, surprise, surprise, coronavirus comes along. And what do you need? A broadcast studio. And the church is kind of irrelevant at this point. It will fill back up again, perhaps not to pre-COVID levels. But you kind of know that, you know, this is going to be a digital organization with physical expressions. So in the future, I think the church will feel a little more like Amazon. If you look like Amazon, Amazon started as a 100% digital company that pre-COVID was starting to add retail stores. Contrast that with J.C. Penney, who was a retailer in the United States, which, by the way, filed for bankruptcy after uh, during COVID, um, but who was like, yeah, we'll try to build a website. So it's one thing to say, no, we're a store, and if you want to buy a shirt, you have to come to our store. And by the way, we're only open between 10 and 8, or whatever your hours are. And no, we're not open on Sunday. Or yeah, our website, you can't really order off that. Yeah, but we have a website. Like, that's one shift. Or Amazon's like, we're open 24-7. Like, what do you want? And now we'll add a physical store and a physical expression. So it's a little bit less like JCPenney and a lot more like Amazon. It's a little bit less like General Motors, which has acres of cars at their dealerships and, you know, come and test drive. And it's a little more like Tesla. If you ever seen a a Tesla location, I'm sorry for the North American analogy if you're watching beyond this, but it's basically just like a small boutique store with one or two vehicles in it. And you just get to sit in it. You don't even really get to test drive it. And you just order it online. Or you don't even have to go to the dealership. It's a little more like that. Now, again, remember, if you're a digital organization with physical expressions, those physical expressions don't have to be in a building. They can be in people's homes. They can be in a neighborhood. They can be in a restaurant. They can be wherever you want. So, again, you're equipping people to connect. They just don't have to go to your building to do that. Okay, that's trend number four. So trend number five is this, that on-demand access will eclipse live events. Not all of you, but some of you are old enough to remember cable TV. And when cable TV was in its 
prime in the 1990s and the early 2000s. If you miss the office Thursday night at nine o'clock, you miss the office. Well, nobody in Gen Z has ever had to tune in at a certain time to watch a show other than say the Super Bowl or you know some football game or something like that. Yeah, that had a start time and a finish time. But for the rest, you know, if you just want to watch whatever you want to watch, you can just watch it when you want, how you want. I mean, they grew up on YouTube, Gen Z is. But the church still functions like cable TV in the era of Netflix. It's like, well, we're kind of only open from 9 till 10 on Sunday mornings, and you better see the event live. And what almost all online content producers are discovering is that the views that happen after a video debuts are always much greater than people who are watching it live, right? That's true of church services. I, I, I do a leadership podcast. So our leadership podcast is at 13 million downloads. And I promise you, it's not like there's hundreds of thousands of people listening on the day that somebody hits release and publishes a podcast episode. What happens is that thousands listen on release day and then thousands and tens of thousands listen after that. And over the years, like when you're listening to a podcast, do you really care when it was recorded? No, you don't really care when it was recorded. You just care that you got to listen to it when it was convenient to you because you're going to take that bike ride at 7.15 a.m. and you just popped your AirPods in and you were off on that bike ride and you wanted to listen to the show then. That's what you want to do. That's how you watch TV. That's how you watch your favorite shows. And now that's how you watch movies, right? So so this idea that, no, people are going to watch this live event. No, your on-demand capacity is so much greater than your live capacity. And if you're really about reaching people rather than gathering people in a physical building, you're going to realize that. I had a chance to spend some time in person and online with Mike Todd from Transformation Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of the largest online churches in the world. And... Um, Mike said, you know, sometimes they get like a tiny fraction of their audience on Sunday morning, but then a quarter million or a million or two million or three million people watch that message over the course of the weeks and months ahead. And if you really want to be serious about reaching people, you're going to pay attention to on demand. How do you connect with the people who watch on demand? How do you make steps for them to connect if you really want to grow your mission? So I just think that's the way it's going to happen in the future. So you want to take on-demand seriously. People don't care nearly as much if a message is new as if a message is helpful. So think about this. You probably did some relationship series three years ago or a parenting series or a series on grief or pain or suffering. And, and guess what? Somebody woke up in a bad marriage today. Somebody woke up suffering and angry at God. That message is as relevant to them today as it was when you preached it. So is there a way that you can work with the search algorithm from Google and YouTube to, to get that message in front of people who have that need today? There's so much potential there. Okay, number six, trend number six, virtual and flexible staff teams will be the new normal. So we already talked a lot about uh, remote work. But I think for churches in the future, and this is, I've led a virtual company for years, I think you will have people as part of your organization that, in fact, live in a different city, live in a different country, live in a different state than you do. And, and sometimes they're going to be people who only meet in person once a year. And, and I think one of the big changes that will happen is, and we, we tipped our hand in this direction earlier, is you're going to have a, a whole generation of employees who say, I don't understand eight to four. Like, what is this eight to four thing? See, if you're working on an assembly line at a factory, it makes sense because if you're late, the assembly line doesn't start, right? It's like, well, we can't run this because nobody's there to put the doors on the car. 
But if you're all there, it makes sense. You have to be there from eight to four. But in, in the office, like basically, I can do almost all the work I have to do off this or off that. It's, it's just not that hard. And that goes with me anywhere I have a signal. And so this whole idea of eight to four, eight to four doesn't work anymore. But you know what does? Flexible virtual teams. So the flexible team is a team that says, just get your work done. Be here for the meetings, and we trust you. You're adults. We hire adults around here. Uh, You can get that done. That's a huge advantage with the next generation, by the way, because they're looking for more flexibility than older leaders, although some older leaders like that flexibility as well. And then virtual teams, like sometimes it's really hard. I, I always say I'm from Toronto, but we're an hour north of Toronto, and I can't tell you how many times over the last few decades I've wanted to hire someone, and they're like, I don't really want to live there. Now, it's a great place to live. You should come work up here. Okay, we love it. But not everybody wants to relocate because the kids are in school. And, you know, my wife has a job. My husband has a job here. And we don't really want to leave that. Or our family's here. Well, all of a sudden, that opens up. And so for my little communications company, I have staff in Toronto. I have staff in Memphis. I have staff in Florida. I have staff in Nebraska. I have people I work with regularly in California. They're, They're distributed. And it works beautifully. And I know everyone's kind of zoomed out and it's like, oh, Zoom, people want in person. I'll tell you, you can run a virtual company very beautifully and I think that's the future. So flexibility becomes a superpower heading into the future. Eight to four doesn't work anymore. And the seventh trend is this. Agility will become one of your most valuable leadership qualities. I think the future belongs to the agile. You see, what's happened over, you know, the time when the world got disrupted is we think we're really innovative because we had to change, but that's not really innovation. That's adaptation. What happened is you had to pivot. You're like, okay, I was in a building. We don't have access to the building. So now we're doing virtual church. Okay. My team can't gather in the office. Now we're actually all going to work remote. And that's slowly going back to normal over time. And it will normalize at some point in the future. But I think you can look back over the last 15 years, companies that weren't agile, they didn't make it even to COVID, right? Like the taxi industry got totally disrupted by Uber and Lyft. Uh, You can look at newspapers got completely disrupted by the fact that people weren't reading physical newspapers, that the whole world had gone digital and that the revenue model underneath that disappeared. Uh, You can look at even education has been revolutionized by digital learning and e-learning. And even church online pre-COVID was starting to trend in a direction that made physical attendance harder. So the innovation that happened at the very beginning of COVID wasn't actually innovation, it was adaptation. And I think the innovation is to come. Now, what innovation requires, as you rethink the model, you rethink these trends, you know what it requires? It requires agility. It requires you to be able to rethink the methods to preserve the mission. Because any organization that elevates the methods over the mission ultimately loses. It's the guy who says, well, I make the best horse and buggies. Well, I guess he doesn't make the horse, but I make the best buggies in the horse and buggy business. But the Model T comes along and you're like, whoop, wiped out, right? You confuse the mission was transportation. So are you in the horse and buggy business or are you in the transportation business? Because if you're in the transportation business, you got a future. If you're in the horse and buggy business, well, you have a little niche boutique thing for history fairs or something. Okay, that's all you got because people are changing. And so your agility, your ability to learn new skills, to pivot your team, to rethink your strategy, to imagine new days and to say, we are going to adapt our methods to preserve the mission. That is your superpower. 
Because the reality is, I mean, you, you can think back in your own lifetime, right? Churches that are like, well, we have to have this style of music with the organ and the choir. They probably didn't make it into the 2000s, right? That's the, this is the way we do church. They, they wouldn't change, and so they died. And I'll tell you, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance a lot less. So agility becomes a superpower. Now, this is an awful lot. I'm an optimist, but I really believe if you look ahead and say, God, okay, we're in these unusual times. You put us in these times, all right? You've given us what we need as a church, and you gave us the best mission on planet Earth. How are we actually going to move into the future? I think if you go open-hearted and open-handed to God, and you begin to put everything on the table and say, what do we need to rethink in our methods to preserve the mission? Because new methods give new life to an eternal mission. And if you're willing to do that, I'll tell you, I think the future is bright. So here's what I'd love for you to do. Just text the words pivot ready, pivot ready to 33777. And then you will get a pivot ready cheat sheet and also some training on how to get your organization pivot ready. I really, really hope this has helped you. Those are the seven trends I'm watching. I would love to know what you're seeing. Well, I hope all of you were encouraged by Carrie's message. Uh, I hope you were inspired, <laughs> but sometimes uh, hearing a dose of reality is what gets us into action, knowing that things will never maybe go back to normal. But this new normal that Carrie maps out is definitely a unique opportunity that we in the church in Canada and around the world can respond to, whether you're a female leader, male leader, or just someone that really wants to help build the kingdom of God. We're just so appreciative that you've joined us for this podcast episode, really encouraging you to come alongside Compassion because they are meeting the needs of the most vulnerable into 2021 and beyond. The pandemic hasn't stopped running its course throughout the world, and we want to come alongside and really help what they are doing with the poorest of the poor and with the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable. So would you go to Compassion.ca and see what you can do to help them? Thanks for joining us on the Her Influence podcast. We have so much good things that we are planning this year, and we're excited to share them with you. We have new interns coming to us, welcoming brand new girls, uh, really from across the nation this year. And we're starting our first ever collective membership program, Meeting Monthly. So much good stuff there. Head to the gatherwomen.com website and find out all about it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Carrie Newhoff for bringing a stunning message to us to encourage us in the year ahead. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Her Influence Podcast. Download and share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Go to gatherwomen.com for show notes, resources, and events in your area. We invite you to join the movement to hear the voices of women represented in equal value and strength in all kingdom conversations and to see the presence of women in equal value and strength in every area of influence. And now, rise in purpose and influence your world with real voices, bold words, and whole hearts.